Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Good morning. We are continuing in our series, Their Story, Our Story, and it's Palm Sunday, and we are talking about the owner in the story of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, and the title of the sermon is Untie the Donkey. So, scripture is Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11, and I'm reading in the NRSV. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and we would normally be waving palms, either palm branches, strips of palm leaves, or palm crosses to a chorus of, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. I just can't wait until we are together again to worship our Lord and Savior in one place. I know it will happen, so I, uh, I remain filled with joy at the knowledge you are with us now, even if it is very different from what we're used to. How many of you had parents that taught you that if you borrowed something, you should return it in the same condition or even better than when you borrowed it? I know it's an unwritten rule that if someone gives you food and you have to return the container, you should fill it with something else when you give it back. But I also remember another saying, neither a borrower nor a lender be. I had to look up where that came from, and it was from Shakespeare's play, Hamlet. The character Polonius says this to his son, Laertes, who was going to Paris. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loses both itself and friend. In other words, if you lend money to a friend, they may not repay it, and it would cost you both the money and your friendship. Or conversely, if you borrow from a friend, you may fall into a debt you cannot repay and also suffer a broken friendship after you've spent all that money. Both lose-lose situations. So what's the best plan? Should we borrow and lend? 
And if yes, are, then are there any guidelines in this story that could help us figure out the parameters for lending and borrowing? Well, I say this story has a lot to tell us about lending, for sure. Of what we know about Jesus in the Bible, we know that he is the model example for giving. His giving is self-sacrificing. For the three years of his ministry, he is healing the sick, teaching his disciples night and day, comforting the brokenhearted, lifting up the poor and needy, feeding thousands, raising people from the dead, and even saving a newly married couple from social disaster by turning water into wine. As Christians, we know that central to our faith is the fact that he carried our sins to the cross and died for us so that we may live the ultimate act of sacrificial service and love. Yet in today's story, he is not the giver. He is the borrower. In our celebration of Palm Sunday, we often focus on Jesus entering into Jerusalem and the crowds that are cheering for him, calling him king, and how quickly they turn to calling for his death. But it may be time to focus on another often skimmed over part of this story when Jesus borrows the donkey. This part of the story has always been a bit puzzling for me. Think about it. Jesus tells the disciples to go into town, and when they see a donkey, yes, in Matthew's version, both a donkey and a colt, to untie it, or them, and bring them to him. He tells them, if anyone says anything to you, just say, the Lord needs it. This story is told in all four Gospels, but each one is a little different. John doesn't talk about the donkey, so we'll leave that one out. In Matthew, when the disciples come for the donkey, no one asks about it at all. In Mark, the bystanders ask what they're doing and seem fine with the response of, the Lord needs it. In Luke, we read that it's actually the owners who see them untying the donkey and ask, they ask them, why are you untying the donkey? The disciples give the answer they were told to give, the Lord needs it, and that's the end of that. There's no mention of what the owners did or said after that, just that the disciples brought the donkey, or donkeys in Matthew's case, to Jesus. It's strange to me because it just doesn't seem like a normal response. In my world, if someone was taking someone else's stuff, the normal response would be something like, hey, what are you doing? That's mine. And even if it was a nicer response like, can I help you? If someone said the Lord needs it or even I need it, when they were borrowing or taking my stuff, I think I'd have questions. What do you need it for? How long will you need it? Will I get it back? Why didn't the owner ask who the Lord was to at least check the identity of the borrower? We can't assume they knew exactly who was borrowing their donkey when Jesus wasn't even with them. Did they ask for some sort of collateral? Hey, I'll keep that cloak of yours until I get my donkey back. Maybe you'll tell me I'm just overthinking this. Maybe you'll say it isn't relevant to the story, so they left all that out. But I am curious. I have questions. Donkeys were key elements of people's lives at the time. They were valuable possessions, used as beasts of burden. They carried loads for people, carrying goods and sheaves of grain, moving whatever people had to sell from one place to another. They were used for travel. People rode on them to get from one place to another, especially when traveling long distances. They plowed fields, moved millstones to grind grain to make into flour, and so they were a source of income 
I'm sure they became like pets to some families, given names and played with by children. Donkey's milk was then and still is considered a highly treasured source of medicinal cures and a common remedy for ailments. It was also used by the rich and famous for taking baths to make the skin smooth and beautiful. One donkey had the potential to provide resources for a good job, food on the table, financial support for their family, entertainment, and support for good health. It had the ability to make a positive impact on every aspect of their life. So it wasn't a small thing to allow strangers to borrow this donkey. Only in Mark's account do the disciples say anything at all about bringing it back. In the other two Gospels, nothing is said about returning the donkey. So did they? Was there any guarantee? Do you see why I had questions? This owner allowed one of his most prized possessions to be borrowed without seemingly even knowing who he was lending it to and if he would get it back. What do you think? What would you do? Let someone you didn't know borrow your car, for instance, without any knowledge of whether you would get it back or what kind of shape it would be in if you did? It's crazy to me. The big question I have considered, I ha the big question I have, considering everything I just said, is why? Why did he let it go like that? Just let it go. In thinking about this donkey, it made me think about what the equivalent in my life would be, what my most treasured possessions are, and would I be willing to just let them go? I don't know about you, but I've found that lately I've had to give up a lot that I probably would never have done voluntarily. As Christians, we usually give up something for Lent as a sign of repentance, to be tested, a way of denying ourselves, over the years, people have given up food or sweets like chocolate, some sort of fasting. People have given up social media, watching television, or given up time in order to pray more, read their Bibles more, and so on. Early on in this coronavirus outbreak, as we've been more and more isolated, I've read, I read a post from someone who said, I've given up things for Lent before, but this is the most I've ever had to give up, going to church being with my friends, going to the movies, walking on the beach, going to my favorite restaurants. And it's like I've had to give up everything. I can relate to that. Usually, it's my personal de decision on what to do for Lent, whether to give up something or take on some kind of service or a new spiritual practice. But I feel like I had no choice in the matter this year. I've given up having someone else do my hair and my nails, Look out in the future for my scraggly hair unless this is oversued and my hairdresser is back in business. I had time scheduled with my friends to go to the movies or do something fun together that has been postponed indefinitely. I've had to cancel my vacation I had scheduled for May. I've had to give up all the hugs and handshakes, that human touch that I was used to all the time. I've had to give up my routine dental and doctor visits. I've had to give up walking on the beach. I've had to give up being present with people in the hospital, long-term care facilities, and those who have lost loved ones, being with the people of Asbury on Sundays, all part of my job that I love and I miss. I know how other people have had to give up far more than that. 
Some have had to give up their jobs, let employees go, visits with children and grandchildren, close their businesses, being with those they love when they're sick and in the hospital, even giving up being with them as they pass away. Our first responders are having to give up being with their families just to do their job and keep their own family safe. Some have given up their own lives. Yes, we've been asked to give up a lot, much more than we could ever have imagined. And just like this donkey represented some aspect of every part of this owner's life, we too have been asked to give up something that touches every aspect of our lives, personally and as a community. Today, we'll call everything we've had to give up our metaphorical donkey of our lives. So think about it for a moment. What is the donkey in your life that you've had to let go? Your savings, your freedom, your health, the sports you love to watch, the concerts and plays, the trips you like to take, the time with your family or friends you're separated from now, your stability. The little pleasures in life we took for granted before all of this? How would you have reacted if someone told you they were taking them? And when you questioned it, they simply said, the Lord needs it. I don't know if I would have voluntarily just let all of that go. Some of them, for sure, but not everything. As we are painfully aware, some have given their lives. What would we say if we had been asked first. The owner doesn't give us much help with that. I guess we all have to figure it out for ourselves. So why did Jesus need that donkey anyway? He rode that donkey to fulfill the scripture from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. This verse is actually why Matthew reports that Jesus rode two animals at the same time, which seems weird to me. Matthew was all about telling the world why Jesus is the Messiah, the one sent by God, by telling how he fulfilled scriptural prophecies. I don't think Jesus actually rode two donkeys at the same time. It's just a way for Matthew to make his point. But he did ride a donkey to show that he is the Messiah, the king sent by God to reign over the world. Jesus did need that donkey for just that reason. As far as I know, this is the only time recorded where Jesus is the borrower. And thank God that the owner let them untie that donkey and let it go. And we don't really know if he actually got it back. Scripture never says. I can imagine that if he did... He knew what the donkey had been used for, who was riding it, and maybe he got to know Jesus a little better. Maybe he followed the events during the next week very closely to see what would happen to Jesus. Maybe he got back to life as usual, forgetting that anything had happened at all, just happy to get his donkey back. We don't know, but I think that's the point. I find that when we don't know what happens or how to answer some of the questions we have, that it's better for us when we're facing the same kind of thing. There is no pat answer or response. We respond under the circumstances in our own way based on our faith in Christ. We've given up a lot. Almost every aspect of our lives has changed in an instant. 
We've known for a long time that we've taken things for granted. I'm not the only one who has said that sports have become too important in our lives. We pay, what we pay athletes and to attend sporting events seems out of control, or at the very least, out of balance with the value it adds to our lives compared to the value we get from our first responders and teachers. For this moment in time, we've had to let go of our passion for sports for a moment. We've been hearing complaints about the school systems for years, parent, parents harassing the teachers for disciplining their children, teaching to tests instead of what some outsiders would call real education, the cost of that education, and so on and so on. Well, now we're having to let go of school as we know it and maybe realize things were better than we thought that our teachers and staff in schools do amazing things with the very little they are given. We've complained about paying benefits to our employees, and now maybe now we can understand why it's important to care for those who work for us, because now we're the ones that don't have those benefits. We wouldn't let go of driving our cars everywhere, and who cared about pollution? Now we're finding that we really don't need those vehicles as much as we thought we did and that clean air is way more important than our ability to be seen in a symbol of personal power. We've worked so hard to give our families a good life or to make sure we felt we had value. And now we're learning it's not our jobs that make for a good life or give us value. It's our relationships with each other. We never wanted to be dependent on anyone, but now we're finding that we have to let go of that notion and work together, giving and receiving help as we work through this together. We so wanted to believe that we didn't need God, didn't even want to believe there is a God in some cases, but maybe we're finding out that faith is the only way to have hope in times like this, that we need God more than ever. We've given up a lot, and there will be more that we will have to let go of. But in the midst of it, I want you to know, to remember that Jesus is Lord of it all. The Lord doesn't really need any of our stuff, but he does ask us to give it to him, to entrust everything into his hands. And when we let it go and give it to him, he rises above it all and will speak life into what seems like darkness and death. He rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, making a statement about who he is, and the people welcome him with joy. If we trust him, he will take what we have given him and use all of it to restore us and make us whole. More than likely, we won't get anything back like it was before. We'll be different people, seeing the world in a different way after all of this has calmed down. Even when we can get back to life, it won't be life as usual. Maybe we'll be better people with better lives if we look to Jesus, walk with him during this time, let go of whatever we have been hanging on to, the burdens we have been bearing all this time, and trust our Lord to take it and use it for good. 
In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus says, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? I think we're getting a taste of what it truly means to lose our lives. What will we give in return for our life? Jesus walks to the cross this week to set us free. He never promised an easy life, just an abundant life, full of hope and peace even in the midst of chaos and death. Here we are. Can we untie our donkeys and give them to Jesus? Lose our lives for the sake of our Lord so that we can find new life. It's hard to give up all this stuff. Everything that we knew. But know that Jesus is still king. He has overcome the world and given us forgiveness from sin and conquered even death itself. We will get through this together, through faith in Christ. Let's untie our donkeys, whatever is holding us back from our faith, from our hope, and letting go of everything we've taken for granted. Through the cross, Jesus gave up everything for us. Through the resurrection, Christ has given us new life. In Christ, that life is full of joy, full of hope, and full of peace for our weary souls. Be like that crazy owner. Just surrender it all. In sure and certain hope that when Jesus borrows anything in our lives, when what we've let go of will not compare to what we will get in return. As everything is stripped away, what remains is what's true, what's really important. And it is the love of God that has given us so much in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.